Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day-to-day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. Good day and welcome back to the show. My name's Caleb and this is... A show that is about having your mind renewed through the filter and the knowledge of the scriptures in order to really grasp, I think, fully what God would have for us as people. Romans chapter, I forget the chapter now, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so that's really what we're after with these podcasts is to recognize that God's word is sufficient for us to see the world by and to understand what's happening in the world around us and ultimately to gain the greatest peace we can gain because our mind is renewed through his words and an understanding of the way he sees the world. And so we're on part two of our talk regarding the seven men who ruled the world from the grave. Uh, which is the title of a book I've just been reading that has been very enlightening. And like I said before, this book, Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave, was written, published in the early 90s, and yet it is still exceedingly relevant today, here almost, what, pushing 30 years later. It's very relevant. And so last week we talked about Darwin and how his ideas of evolution have affected our thinking and uh, on the whole of world society and how that differs from what the scriptures tell us that we should be focusing on. And this time we're going to talk about Karl Marx. Now, some people have suggested that Karl Marx, other than Jesus Christ, is one of the most influential Jewish people who have ever lived. And you can also probably lump in there Sigmund Freud, who we'll talk about in a couple weeks' time few weeks' time. So Freud was Jewish. Uh, Karl Marx was Jewish as well, although his father was, uh, I believe, Lutheran, uh, converted to Lutheranism. And yet um, Marx himself obviously grew up with that understanding that he came from a Jewish background, yet never embraced any sort of Jewish culture or heritage or anything like that. He died in the late 1800s, and so his writings were very popular even in his day. He, his famous book, The Communist Manifesto, still in publish. I remember reading it a number of years ago. Uh, also, his rather large work, Das Kapital, uh, on economics and that, was all trying to flesh out his ideas of what communism was all about. So he had a unique view of world history in that he said the history of the world can be viewed as a constant struggle between the haves and the have-nots, or in other words, between the oppressors and those who are being oppressed. And so he tried to base his argument for how society should be on this idea that first it was the slaves who were the oppressed against the slave owners who were the oppressors, and then it became the land workers, the agrarian society, the feudalistic society that was against those who owned the land, the land owners who were the lords and the, you know, what we 
would look, I mean, really like the queen or the king of England or whatever, or these different nations were the top ones, but they, um, but the, the different lords, of the different estates, they had the land and therefore those who worked the land under a feudal system paid tri- uh, rent or homage or some kind of tax or something to them. They were the have nots who were against the haves. Okay. And then, uh, he then coined the phrase capitalist or capitalism and claimed that those who had the capital or who had the means of uh, creating the factories or the, the goods or the jobs or whatever, they're the haves and now the working class, the ones who are laboring, the ones who are clocking in and clocking out, they're the have-nots. So his goal in his day was to have the working men of the world unite and to overpower or overcome their oppressors who were the overlords, the ones who had the money the capital holders, the capitalists. And so, and even to this day, we talk about venture capital and things like that is what, what money do you have in order to start a business or start whatever it is you're trying to start. So, but uh, Marx coined the term capitalist. It didn't apparently exist before him. This is what I've just discovered here recently in listening to a few podcasts, a couple podcasts on Karl Marx. Um, and also he fabricated a lot of his numbers in order to make his argument look good when it came to, I guess, things like economics and that, because he wrote a very hefty work on economics. I haven't read his big work on economics, but this is what people who were talking about the life of Karl Marx said, that he fabricated some of his uh, data in order to get his point across. And so uh, the the lectures that I listened to pointed out that the man himself uh, really was presenting a flawed system, and yet it is a system of thought and of government that has affected tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world since uh, the Russian Revolution, basically the Russian Revolution, and then all the way up, and now we have China, uh, obviously Russia collapsed in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall and all that, uh, but then today we still have communism in China, very strong, very active, uh, shows no signs of weakening, really. Maybe there are some signs as of the publication of this podcast in coming up mid-2020. Some people have suggested there's signs there. But um, but really a very powerful nation and one that still strikes fear into the hearts of many, particularly on an economic level. Uh, but But China is a unique country in that the... Bolshevik Revolution and the Russian Revolution that created the Soviet Empire tried to keep everything within a closed system. The I remember growing up in America in the 80s that when it was still the Soviet Union that was in existence and the idea of interaction with Soviets was a very rare thing. So it because they didn't really allow people to travel around the world and things like that whereas China today uh, the university, a mere 30 miles away from where I live, has hundreds of Chinese students in it. And there's a Chinese church in the town near where I live as well. And so there are a lot of Chinese who have come out of China and have traveled around the world. But what China did not do that the Soviet Empire, or the Soviet Union did do, was try to, it allowed for economic growth to take place. So basically it allowed for a certain amount of capitalism to, to happen, and yet the ideology of the mindset of China is still very much communistic, communist party, and that you still have to toe the line. It's still very much atheistic. So communism is very atheistic because Karl Marx was a materialist. Uh, he held to the the strength of 
the community or the or the society to to do what it needed to do to create a utopia. So his idea was was that the working classes would rise up and that they would uh, really violently take over government and create a technically a temporary government whereby they would establish an education system and a society uh, with an economic system that would f- that would feed and edify and, and strengthen itself and then the the strong central government would fade away and there would be this kind of utopia because people would just love to work for the help of everyone around them that was his idea. And that sounds great. And it would really sound great if you had, you know, a small patch of land and could barely feed your family and that kind of thing. To think that other people would be working and you would have access to the whole of the uh, the surplus of the nation because everybody would help everybody and they would and then the whole the whole population would raise to a higher economic state. That sounds great when you're the poor guy. Uh, but when you're the rich guy or the guy that manages everything, it's not that great because you have a lot stripped away from you. And so it 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 didn't. That's one reason, really, why when uh, Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, took over Russia during the revolution in the early part of the 1900s, they basically had to kill off, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, if not millions of people. Uh, they knew that the church would be against them because they were atheistic, so they either um, uh, destroyed or suppressed the church or, or in fear subjected it to them, which in China is still done to this day with the Three Self-Patriotic Movement, which is the state-run church. Um, they do that. You also have an underground church in China as well. But, um, but that was what had to be done in order for the system to function as they thought it should function. The reality is, is that after 70 or so years of the great communist experiment taking place in Russia and the satellite states of the Soviet Union, no utopia ever came. Read the writings of Richard Wormbrand. Uh, read about the Gulag Archipelago, with, uh, I think written by Solzhenitsky. I haven't read that myself. I have read the writings of Richard Wormbrand. Uh, read uh, some of the modern stuff coming out about... Uh, China uh, from the days of Mao, Taitung, uh, and things like that, and that are still in existence uh, today. A lot of those policies and things that suppress the church and and do not allow it to grow as it could or should, but uh, or have the freedom that it should have. But these things, there, there is no utopia in that sense. The, the bondage that the people who are in these countries is in, we don't necessarily see that if we go to China and just walk around the streets but it doesn't take long to start reading up. Uh, you know, go to the website of China Aid with Bob Fu and see about the injustices that take place within China to this day under a communist nation. So it it hasn't produced what Marx said it would produce, and so as a result, it's caused untold suffering around the world in many different forms, primarily economic. Uh, they say that under the the days of Mao Zedong in the 1950s and into the 60s in China, you know, millions, tens of millions of people died through starvation and that because of his economic reforms that he was bringing into play. And so uh, there are people to this day that grew up in those days and can remember those days. And I just recently listened to a podcast from um, 
the Back to Jerusalem crowd, and they had a guy on who was being interviewed, and he was a school teacher in China, and he said some of his students just in the last year or two have been saying that China is now becoming like their grandparents' China. So they're referring to the China of the 50s and the 60s. And so that's kind of the statement that was coming out uh, just in the last couple of years with some of the new reforms that have clamped down on, on communist China as well. So the, the, the writings of Marx have uh, affected hundreds of millions of people, and it's a flawed system that never could develop itself fully because it left out God as any source of anything that can be considered valuable. Everything began with man and everything was subjected to the whole of society. Now I've talked, uh, actually I haven't talked on this podcast about this, but, but the reality is, is that man was made in God's image. And so God made Adam and Eve in the perfect state that he desired them to be. They were innocent uh, no sin was yet within them. But when sin did come in because of their rebellion against God's uh, direction to them, then it created, a, in a sense, a shattered image of God. So humans are in the image of God. We we bear marks of a, a reflection of who God is to a certain degree, but it's a broken image because of the sin that's been put within us. And so if you try to eliminate God from society, which is what Karl Marx tried to do and create an entirely new economic, educational, social structure in order to house society and say that there's no God, what do you have left? All you have left is the whims and the policies and the procedures of sinful men. And so as a result, you end up with an inevitable collapse of society, which is exactly what we saw in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down and was shortly thereafter the, the, the coups that took place in Russia itself, and then that the whole Soviet empire ceased to be. And so, um, and so it can't last because it's a, it's a man-made system that will only ever be temporary and never uh, have any eternal value to it because everything is being done in the flesh. Now, one of the biggest challenges for the church, uh, which you and I are sitting in, if I mean, if you're not a believer, then this will be interesting to you anyway, but the ideas of communism and Marxism has entered into the church through what is called liberation theologies. And so remember, what Karl Marx said was, well, the, the workmen of the world must unite against those who are the haves. That way we can basically take their what they have, spread it all out, and then raise up everybody and get rid of the oppressor and we'll all be free. Okay, That was sort of the core of his initial revolutionary idea. So this idea of liberation theology, which, which grew out of Catholicism of, of Central and South America, took those ideas and applied it to... The church, and they said, "Well, uh, we need to now be free from our oppressor." And so, in Latin America and South America, it was those poor people who were working on the land and things like that. But it was all spearheaded by the Catholic Church. So, things like salvation was redefined as having economic freedom, or to have enough to eat, or something like that. And sin was. Uh, the evils of capitalism and the things that oppress you economically and, and socially and that kind of thing. And so uh, 
the, that idea then spread out from the core of the liberation theology, and then it worked its way into black liberation theology and feminist liberation theology and a number of different ones that are all after the same thing. I feel like I'm being oppressed, so I'm the underdog. You're the oppressor, whoever you happen to be. And unfortunately, in a lot of the world, the oppressor is the white uh, male who has a decent wage and a decent job and is conservative in his beliefs and things like that. He tends to be the focus of the attack. And so, you know, feminist liberation theologies have to reinterpret the Bible to the point that God is uh, either neither male nor female or God is a woman now. Um, and so everything has to be feminized in the scriptures in order to bolster women up and that kind of thing uh, to the equal place of men. Black liberation theology kind of uh, it still plays a little bit on the sympathies of the slave trade and things like that that happened in the 1800s and the Civil War. But, you know, they they want to try to liberate black people so that they can become just as important or have what the have ha, they want what the haves have had and that kind of thing. So you see it's this pattern that goes over and over again. Now, the problem with this is that you can look at someone like Paul and say, well, okay... Paul was a Jewish guy living in a society that was being oppressed by the Romans. But Paul did not create a, uh, what would we call it? We would call it a Jewish liberation theology. We wouldn't call it that based on uh, any kind of Marxism or anything like that. Paul, Paul it would have looked like this though. He, Paul would have said, hey, we're Jews, and this is our land, but it's being invaded by the Romans, and so they're oppressing us. So we need to rise up against them, just like uh, you know the the Israel did during the Exodus, and uh, pilfer all of our our Roman overlords and take the land back is what we need to do, and get rid of them, and so that way we can have economic freedom and all that kind of thing. So, and then our freedom would be able to benefit the whole of society and it will be this new utopia that will come back. And boy, won't everything be great at that point if we did that. You see, Paul never did that. Paul said, and Jesus never did that either. Uh, you know, they tried to make him a king. Jesus had opportunity to let the lower classes of people, after he was healing people and feeding 5,000 and all that, if anyone on the earth could have taken on the role of the guy who came up from the lower classes and freed those being oppressed from the oppressor and created a utopia on earth, it would have been Jesus. Because we saw him heal people, we saw him feed the 5,000, we saw him do the things for women and for the, uh, the, you know, the marginalized and for the, the lower classes. He did the things that nobody else was doing. And so he was creating this sort of following. He was almost going along the lines of what communism says we should be doing. As a matter of fact, if you read Richard Wormbrand's writings, he all, he he has a dialogue in his book, uh, The Underground Church, with a, with a communist guy. And the, in the dialogue, Richard Wormbrand says, but communists care for the poor. So did Jesus. So, so does the church. Communism is this, and so is Jesus. And communism is that. And he makes multiple comparisons between communism and Christianity or the, or what Jesus taught. And then he said to the communists, why do you persecute us? 
if we hold to the same thing. So see, what I'm saying is true in that Jesus could have done this and been the revolutionary leader that brought about a worldwide utopia of the poor rising up and being made better against the upper classes that were the oppressors. Jesus never did that. What Jesus did and what Paul did was to live out a life of love that was exemplified in sacrifice. And so Jesus did this ultimately on the cross knowing that God had a higher purpose. So they recognized that the Jesus rec- Jesus knew because he's God he created us and Paul recognized uh, through his own salvation experience and that that this kind of thing can only be true and happen if a heart is changed and so when your heart is changed then you can have a change of life and so only God can change a human heart communism can't do it uh, the teachings of evolution saying that we're getting better and better and better can't do it. And then later we'll look at guys like Freud and that who try to psychoanalyze people into a better state. It, it doesn't work because we are broken images, because we have sin in our life, because we need to actually turn from that sin. And we need to put our faith and our trust and our hope into Jesus Christ to be the only one who can actually transform us by the renewing of our mind to... Uh, that which he wants us to have and be, which is a person who walks in love and patience and humility and peace and joy and all these things. And so please don't take on the ideas of Marxism and Karl Marx. Take on the ideas of the scriptures. Let the scriptures inform you. Let the life of Jesus empower you through his spirit and let the teachings of Paul be the ones that guide us in our practical outworking of our day-to-day life of how we should live in order to have the fullest that God would have for us. The Bible is sufficient, and the Bible gives us the answers, and that is the way that we can have a renewed mind. God bless you.